The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. Today I'm going to share a message that uh, really uh, you probably don't need much of, but I do. And it's called Beyond Defensiveness. Beyond, <laughs> Beyond Defensiveness. There's a Peanuts cartoon uh, that I really loved. Uh, Lucy is trying to better understand the little dog Snoopy. And she looks at him with wondering eyes and she says, There are times when you really bug me. But I must admit, there are also times when I feel like giving you a great big hug. To which Snoopy replies in the thought balloon up up above, Well, that's what I am, huggable and buggable. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think that's true for a lot of us, isn't it? We're huggable and buggable, you know, we love and we let love in, and then yet we get perturbed. And we get hurt and we get upset. I mean, in the human body, there are 70, excuse me, there are 7 trillion nerves. And some people manage to get on every single one of them (laughs) in our lives. So it's so true that it's possible to spend a little too much time on the buggable side of things. And that's why I'm inviting us today to take a look at that pattern in our lives so that we can look at whether we're poised for hurt, poised for defending, poised for upset in our lives. You know, back in 1775, they created a flag prior to our revolution uh, here, and it has a coiled-up snake, and the words on it are, Don't tread on me. Some people fly that flag on their lives, over their lives. And, And truly, it is that they're poised for the fight, Poised for the hurt, poised for the defense. And I, I, I know that any one of us can from time to time become defensive. But we have to watch that it doesn't become a pattern. And that's what I want us uh, to take a look at today. Now, defensiveness has, have, has many different and fairly recognizable traits to it. There's uh, being thin-skinned and, and highly sensitive. There's, there's overreacting to situations or to comments. There's the pattern, the continuing pattern of of getting hurt a lot and getting upset a lot and lashing out then in in life. And then there's also the defensiveness that is of over-arguing things. And as Shakespeare said, methinks thou doth protest too much, you know. And then, of course, there's the Bull leaps to wild and weird conclusions that the defensiveness uh, seems to spark in us. I remember a time, I've shared this with you before, but it's always been so telling to me. I was a young minister in uh, here as an associate minister in the early 80s, and um, I, ha- I, I was in my office on a Tuesday, and a call was sent to my desk, and uh, it was a gentleman I did not know. Uh, but he launched in and he said, I got to talk about that ser- about a sermon that I heard on Sunday. And I thought, well, wow, I gave the sermon on Sunday. And he said, I got to tell you, um, I listened to one of the worst, most boring, <laughs> most awful sermons I've ever heard given. And I'm thinking to myself, you know how you think as you listen when you should be listening all the way? And I said, well, who the, do you think you are? What, what's up with you? And and he went on. It was just awful. I could barely sit through it. And I then I it's ramping up in me. And I'm thinking, you don't know what it takes. You don't know what it takes to put these things together week after week after week while you're trying to run a church and all this other stuff. 
And I'm thinking to myself, if this guy ever shuts up, boy, am I going to whittle him down to size. And so he goes on and on and then finally says, and so you know what I did? I just got up and left and I came over to Mile High Church and I heard you and it was great. And I just loved it. And so now at this point, I'm thinking of him as one of the wisest, most discerning guys I have ever run across. But when I hung up, I thought, okay, here's, here's some work to do. There's some work to do here. And always those moments of our humanness and our defensiveness give us some very profound opportunities for our growth. Very profound. Now, it's important to be aware of the dangers of defensiveness, you know. Uh, defensiveness can be an erosion at so many levels of our lives. It can deteriorate relationships, um, associations, projects, businesses, uh, neighborhoods, uh, can uh, fall into deep, intractable conflict. Uh, peace can be disturbed, all because of this, this thing called defensiveness. And more than anything, though, what we can also do is we can become closed to constructive input, closed to what we need to see in our lives because we're too defensive and we're shutting it out. It's like we, we become complicit with our own blind spots when we're hooked into this kind of defensiveness. And we don't see our, our bold inconsistencies uh, in our life. Like the, the bumper sticker I saw a while back that said, shoot all extremists. Now, there's a huge blind spot um, in that. Uh, as well as it's, a, it's rather self-destructive if one were to really analyze it. So here's a key. Here's a key in this thing of defensiveness. A defensive personality or, or a pattern of defensiveness will actually attract hurt, upset, and conflict. It will actually attract it. See, haven't you ever realized that a defensive person is angst waiting to happen? Hurt waiting to happen. Anger and conflict waiting to happen. Uh, And you've heard individuals from that defensive place of saying, well, they really pushed my buttons. Well, that's what buttons are for. They're designed to be pushed. I mean, if somebody comes along and pushes your button, that's one thing, but they didn't install it is what we like to say, you know. And so we're calling in and attracting these opportunities for growth. But if we don't take them on as opportunities, then deterioration is at work in many areas of our lives. You see, I believe that there are some deep illusions at the heart of this thing of defensiveness. And and we really need to have some very high-level illusionectomies with these things. And the first one is the illusion that... uh, the things I take personally are really about me. Well, maybe that's not so much the case. We'll come back to that. You know, there's a great, great book. It's a classic metaphysical book called The Four Agreements. Are you familiar with The Four Agreements? Well, Don Miguel Ruiz wrote that. We've had him here a couple of times along with his sons. And he gives us some keys that can help us understand this whole thing. He said, when you take things personally, then you feel offended and your reaction is to defend your beliefs and to create conflict. You make something big out of something so little because you have the need to be right and make everyone else wrong. 
So there he gives us a clue that at the heart of our defensiveness is a deep need to be right. And we cling to that need to be right. And so then he also says, you take it personally because you deeply agree with whatever was said. Now that's a radical thought. And as soon as you agree, the poison goes through you and you are trapped in the dream of hell. What causes you to be trapped is what we call personal importance. Personal importance, or taking things personally, is the maximum expression of selfishness because we make the assumption that everything is about me. So he really nails us there. That whole thing of self-importance. Carlos Castaneda taught about this as well. He said our self-importance requires that we spend most of our lives offended by someone. Someone. So you see, those are the two things. The deep need to be right. Do you do that? Do you have that deep need to be right? Don't sit there looking pious at me. Yeah, and then that self-importance. So we come to this illusion that the things I take personally are really about me, but then we need to go to the next step. And, and Don Miguel Ruiz says, nothing other people do is because of you. Nothing. It's because of themselves. All people live in their own dream and in their own mind. And even when a situation seems so personal, even if others insult you directly, it has nothing to do with you. What they say, what they do, and the opinions they give are according to the agreements they have in their own minds. And so the clarity with that is it's their stuff. But sometimes we take it on because of our need to be right and that self-importance. But we don't have to take that on. We can just hear it as something that's going on with and within them and leave it at that. But we get defensive because of that need to be right and that self-importance. The next illusionectomy is that my fears and insecurities are easily hidden. (laughs) Would that it were true, but our fears and insecurities are not easily hidden at all. Ruiz says again, if you get mad at me, I know you are dealing with yourself. I am the excuse for you to get mad, and you get mad because you're afraid, because you're dealing with fear. If you live without fear, if you love There is no place for any of these emotions. You are loving everything that is around you because you are loving yourself, because you are content with you. And so when our defensiveness comes up and we forget that it's their stuff and we're hooked into our need to be right and our personal importance, what we get to do is wake up. Wake up and realize that it's our own call for love. It's our own inner calling to deepen our sense of worth and that we don't need others' agreement or approval in order to be worthy, in order to be lovable. I just went to the uh, Mr. Rogers movie. Any of you seen that? It's absolutely deeply touching and powerful. And in an address to a college, he says, you don't have to be sensational to be lovable. And he wants every kid to know that. You just need to be yourself, to be yourself. And so 
these times we fall into this defensiveness are an opportunity to move out of the illusion that we're separated from God, that we're separated from love, that we're weak and insecure and assailable from others, and we get to do our work of building ourselves up. So let's take this into some things we can do this very week. Three things that we can do to heal defensiveness and and to move into the truth of our being. The first one is remember who you are. Remember who you really are. It was a time when Jesus and his followers were, were seeking to get to Jerusalem, and to do so they had to go through Samaria. Now, the Samarians and the children of Israel were at odds. Uh, they did not like one another. Now, Jesus had sent James and John ahead to find lodging for this entourage, and they were rebuffed. The Samarians, in a very hostile way, said, no, get out of here. Well, James and John, they came back and threw a hissy fit. They were ticked off. And they said to the big guy, hey, command fire to come down from heaven and consume them. They threw a spiritual temper tantrum (laughs) right there. But that enlightened master simply looked at depth into them. And he said, do you not remember the spirit that you are of? Do you not know the spirit that you are of? And you know, that's what we get caught up in. We forget the true spirit of our nature. We forget that we're spiritual beings. We forget that we're whole. We forget that we're not flawed and and incomplete, but that we're whole and we're always evolving greater expressions of that wholeness. We forget, know ye not the spirit that you are of? And so we want to lash out or defend, we got to remember who we really are. That we're born of that divine love. It says in 2 Timothy, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Now that's what you got. Your ego may think otherwise, and that's its tendency, to think of you as incomplete, insecure, and inadequate. But I'm here to tell you that you have not been given that spirit. You have been given the spirit of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. And it's only when you allow other ideas to infiltrate that truth of you that things begin to pull your strings, and you feel that unworthiness. But I also love what Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, the great Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So it's a time to remember who we are. In the throes of it, take stock. Know the spirit that you are of. Think, imagine if you are a classically trained and brilliant pianist, a concert pianist of the highest order, and that you had a a career that was building and growing and reaching a pinnacle, and then one day you awaken and you feel a stiffness in your fingers. And it's of concern to you. So you go to the doctor and they do massive tests. And they come back telling you, you have incurable arthritis. Imagine it. Well, that actually happened for a wonderful pianist, Byron Janus. And uh, he was 45 years old at the pinnacle of his career in 1973. And they brought him that news. You know what he did? He told no one. Only his wife and two close friends knew. And he started working on his strengths, not his weaknesses. 
he started learning new methods and, and, and ways that he could still play, but different ways than he was used to. And he got involved in a regimen of healthy drugs and, and acupuncture and other kinds of therapies. His wife learned how to massage his hands, even though nine of the joints in the fingers of his hands had already fused. And he kept playing. He maintained 12 years of a brilliant career doing that. Until in 1985, at a White House concert, he fessed up and he told the world that he'd been dealing with arthritis. And then he got involved, God love him, in the Arthritis Foundation and, and raising money for that. I love the line that he said to everybody, I have arthritis, but arthritis doesn't have me. We have experience in this life. We have experiences. We have our ups and our downs. But when we remember who we are, they don't have us. We're just moving through them. And so whenever we slip down that road for a bit of defensiveness, it's the first thing. Remember who you are. The second thing, take the high road. Take the high road. Now, because, you know, there are a number of roads available. Now, when we're defensive, we tend to see a very limited few roads to go down. And they're usually filled with angst and uh, they're upset. And, and they close down options. They close down options. But when we remember who we are, we can say, you know what, I'm going to take the high road here and I'm going to trust that there's an abundance in this universe, that there's a guidance in this universe, that there's a healing energy in this universe, there's a joy in this universe, and I'm a part of it. And it can work in and through me if I'll take the high road. If I'll take the high road. If we do not do that, we usually narrow our field of vision and we exclude many, many opportunities. Beautiful, brilliant lady in the 1800s, late 1800s, Martha Berry. She was an educator, and she desired, her heart was called and compelled to help the poor, poor children of slaves on the plantations, to give them an education. And, and it was her heart's calling, but she had no money, she had no buildings, she had no books. So she went to the great industrialist of our time then, Henry Ford, and she shared of her heart. Uh, these beautiful children wanted so much to learn to read and to write. And would he help her? And he said yes, in a cavalier kind of way. And he pulled out of his pocket a dime and put it in his hand and left. Now, you know, that's pretty good territory for defensiveness and insult right there, don't you think? You know, she could have tossed it in his face or thrown it away and felt uh, guilty and victimized. But you know what she did? She took that dime. She bought a packet of seeds. She planted those seeds. Then she reaped the harvest of that and planted the greater amount of seeds. And she kept doing this for several seasons until finally she had enough money to build her first humble building from those seeds. Then she went back to Henry Ford. She told him what she'd done with his dime. And he couldn't believe his ears, so he went and he saw it. And he was so moved that he gave Martha Berry a million dollars to continue her work, which was like a hundred million in those days. She took the high road. And you know the ego wants to just dive into the sweet syrup of self-pity and hang out a long time there, right? And get defensive. But it all starts as we remember who we are and we take the high road. And then finally, got to keep on shining. Got to keep on shining. See, there's a light in us. Don't let defensiveness dim it. A judge, an incumbent judge, was running for re-election, and 
his opponent was vile, putting out a vicious smear campaign and, and laying all of these untruths out about this judge who had an exemplary record. And it was just a vicious assault, so many lies. And, and this was concerning to this, the incumbent judge's campaign manager and staff. And so they called a meeting and had the judge show up and, and they said to him, do you know what your opponent is saying about you? He's lying. How are you going to handle this? What are you going to do? And the wise old judge just sort of sat back and he said, well, when I was a boy, I had a dog. And every time the moon was full, that hound dog would howl at the bright face of the moon. We never did sleep very well those nights. He'd bark and howl all night. And there was a bit of a silence. (laughs) And the campaign manager said, Sir, that's a really nice story, but it's besides the point. What are you going to do about your critic? And the judge said, I just answered you. When the dog barked at the moon, the moon kept right on shining. And I'll ignore the criticism as the moon ignored the dog. I'll just keep right on shining, quietly, calmly, beautifully. So here's a prescription then, not just for overcoming defensiveness, but for becoming more fully actualized as the spiritual beings, the beings of power and of love and of a sound mind that every one of us is, no matter what's going on in life circumstances. Remember who you are. Take the high road and keep on shining. And use every opportunity where there's that temptation for defensiveness to strengthen all that you know yourself to be. And then the right action of the universe will swing into gear and you'll see things evolving in just the right way. I close with these words from a wonderful lady named Anita Morjani. Anita was kind of brought to the world's attention through Wayne Dyer. We've had her here twice. She was riddled with cancer at one point in her life uh, and uh, was very close to passing. And in fact, she had a near-death experience in which she had let go of her body. And she was in the in-between space. Uh, the veil is thin when you're there and she was in that in-between space and she sensed the higher realities of life and she had this realization that her cancer was based in the fact that she had never honored herself. She had always lived her life in support of everybody else, taking care of everybody else and she never was true to who she was. And so she came out of that powerful near-death experience realization And she took it to heart, and over the course of about six months, her cancer was and is entirely gone. And she's written a book called Dying to Be Me. But I want to leave you with her words about what she experienced about herself in that realm of almost being on the other side and having insights about how we live this life. I would want you to know that every part of you is magnificent. Your ego your intellect, your body, and your spirit. It's who you are, a beautiful product of the universe's creation. There is nothing to let go of, nothing to forgive, nothing to attain. You already are everything you need to be. Now when we know that, 
we know the way.